Ag State of Mind, Episode 10. Welcome to Ag State of Mind, a podcast that examines the stresses affecting producers of agriculture and how to alleviate these stresses and improve farmers' lives. In this podcast, we discuss openly the mental health crisis that is occurring in the agricultural community and what we can do to help turn it around. Now here's your host, Jason Meadows. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Ag State of Mind podcast, a member of the Global Ag Network. I'm your host, Jason Meadows, and today is a really cool interview on the show. Uh, today I get to speak with Cody Croman. Cody is a veterinarian and digital storyteller based in Alberta, Canada. And Cody has been sort of a pioneer in the ag community, sharing his story in real time via YouTube, Instagram, Snapchat, and other social media platforms. He even has his own podcast, the Palpation Nation podcast. We talked to Cody today about his story, about the importance of his work educating folks about the life of a cow vet and about agriculture in general. And Cody, thankfully, he brings up the increased incidence of suicide among veterinarians, something that I was not aware of. So I'm I'm really thankful that Cody took the opportunity to take this conversation in that direction. So before we get into the interview, I want to remind everyone that I do now have a Patreon page. Several people have asked if I have one, and um, I went ahead and, and made one for anyone who is wanting to support the show via donations. Through that side, I will have some bonus material, some added conversation with my guest from last week, Kathy Voth. We talk a little bit about the benefits of grass finished versus grain finished beef and how we need to stop demonizing the other side. And uh, I'm also going to have some bonus material of some upcoming guests and upcoming series and what I'm going to be doing in the future. So you can check that out on my Patreon page, patreon.com slash ag state of mind. So with that all being said, I will go ahead and I will get into the interview with Dr. Cody Croman. All right, Cody, welcome to the show today. Thanks for coming on here with us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So I want to tell you about the first time I heard your voice. And uh, it was last year sometime. I was training, I was actually training for a half marathon. My wife and I ran a half marathon down in Waco, Texas. And uh, I was, I was, had been listening to Clay Connery's podcast, the Working Cows podcast, who Okay, yeah. Clay has become a really good friend of mine over the last couple of months sharing some of, I, I called him yesterday. We were, uh, we were exchanging tweets yesterday and, uh, I called him my podcast dad because he, uh, <laughs> he kind of like, he kind of does the things that a dad would do, making sure I do this, you know, he's putting a word out there for me. But, uh, I was listening to your podcast when you were, uh, you were talking about castration, um, bull calves with, uh, with clay. And, uh, you know, I was running, I was running, I live in a, I was, in a small town in Missouri and I was running on the side of the road and just having to think, you know, what in the world would people think about, you know, just this cross section of my life. Here I am running down. I was, I think running a 12, <laughs> 12 mile run that day with uh, listening to two guys talking about uh, cutting bull nuts off. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. So, uh, so if you don't mind, would you mind introducing yourself, kind of telling everybody a little bit about yourself? Um, some people may not be familiar. So uh, if you wouldn't mind. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. So I, uh, I grew up here in Alberta, Canada. I was a farm kid. We ran a commercial cow-calf operation. My dad was a banker turned cattle buyer and my mom was, was a rancher. And that was my entrance into the world. So it was animals and cows and, and all that fun stuff. Uh, I was not particularly academic in my primary school years, but I absolutely fell in love with veterinary medicine at age 16 and uh, chased that dream viciously uh, despite my general lack of, of book smarts. I was able to, to work hard enough to get through that. Got into veterinary school. It was absolutely everything to me. I just love everything about the profession and worked through that and entered into a beef cattle only practice uh, also here in Alberta, Canada, moved here with my wife and we've been here ever since. In 2015, I started sharing my story online in video format uh, in terms of a vlog. And that's been a, a really amazing sort of journey of me sharing my story in, in terms of a, a digital storyteller and has afforded me a lot of opportunities uh, to be able to, you know, go speaking internationally and to be able to have interactions with other veterinarians, other people, and, and really just kind of do a lot of really fun things. And in the last couple of months, I've actually left clinical practice. So I say I'm, I'm retired at age 34. <laughs> yeah, we all should be so lucky, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'd, say, I'd say your retirement or your unemployment isn't what we think it might be <laughs> or what, yeah, we might, it's, um, what we might think of. It would be a retire, uh, a maybe temporary retirement from, uh, from clinical practice and, uh, Still, I wish I wish I didn't have to sleep, and I wish there was four like fourteen days in a week to actually get everything done. So, oh my gosh, don't we all? <laughs> well, right. we all. That's the thing about it is we all have the same amount of time, no matter what. You know, no matter what what kind of life we live, we all have twenty four hours in a day. So it's you know it's kind of on us what we do with them. So, where did you attend vet school? Uh, that was at the, the University of Saskatchewan. So we only had at that time one veterinary school in Western Canada. Uh, and I had done a full Bachelor of Science degree at the University of Alberta uh, in animal science. And didn't even get in that, you know, after I was done my my undergraduate. I, I got to go pipelining for a year in between undergraduate and, and vet school. So a true oh, Alberta wow, that'll boy. open your eye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So if anybody's not familiar with with Alberta, it is uh it is like little Texas. We're we're basically the Texas of Canada. Right. I've always I don't know if I've I've if I've heard that somewhere or if I just have realized that as far as is just the the culture of Alberta is very similar to Texas. Just I think is it is it because of the you know the oil and the ag makeup of it? Exactly. It's cows and oil. Absolutely. So it's like a very, very, very cold Texas. Wow. I've always wanted, I've always wanted to visit Alberta and I particularly, uh, uh, Jasper National Park, I think just from the pictures alone. Oh yeah, absolutely. Jasper and Banff that, uh, the Banff National Park is right in our back door and I really enjoy hiking, uh, with my family for sure. Oh wow. It's amazing. That has to be cool. Yeah. No, the, to me just, and now I've never been there, but just in pictures and what I've seen, I mean, the, the U S the state side of the Rockies is beautiful, but I don't think it really can compare to the Canadian Rockies. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure. I haven't spent too much time. Yeah. So 
Tell me about your early days as a vet, you know, when you were first out of school. Did you work a lot of feedlots? Did you work a lot of cow-calf? Yeah, so the practice that I was at, I practiced there for two years and then became a partner, so an equal equity partner. So it is a a cow-calf and feedlot-only practice. So my clinical time was split pretty well 50-50. My clientele ranged from anywhere between 30 cows and 30,000 cows. So from you know small seed stock operations all the way up to very large feedlots. And my day was was doing postmortems and preg tests and semen testing and fixing broken legs and putting calves on fluids and C-sections and pulling calves and a lot of consulting, a lot of training on the feedlot side, a lot of training on the cow-calf side. So that was, you know, that was a pretty big component. And then from there, we also had a very large teaching component as well. So right from the first week that I was out of vet school, I've had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of veterinary students, pre-vet students, uh, rolling through my truck on ride-alongs, uh, mentoring them. So that's been a, a really amazing and fulfilling part of my career. And yeah, so that's that was that practice itself. So partnership uh, two years in and uh, and then exit eight years since I started there. Very cool. So why why start the vlogs? What prompted that? Yeah, it was, you know, the the first part of it was even before I was a partner, I was just trying to carve out sort of my niche within the practice. So these partners were end of career veterinarians. I was the young buck coming in and it was just very, very, I guess, important to me to kind of find my way. So I had kind of spearheaded a website. I was going to get this practice into the 2000s. We didn't even have a website at that point. There's literally <laughs> nothing about this practice online uh-huh. in 2011, 2012. Uh, so I got, I actually got joined up with the web developer who was from Holland and he was absolutely pivotal in terms of the course of the rest of my life. He essentially started like showed me what Twitter was, showed me what Facebook was and gave me a couple books to read. And and one thing that I think that was the most pivotal thing he did was he turned on YouTube and he went to Gary Vaynerchuk's Wine Library TV. I don't know if you're familiar with Gary Vaynerchuk, but he's a, a social media celebrity, but a, also a businessman. He had a wine store with his father in his kind of first career. And he just sat down every day for a thousand episodes and reviewed like two or three different wines just in front of a camera. And he just put out a thousand videos on YouTube. And uh, this Dutch guy, Diedrich, he just looked at me and he said, okay, if you want to be successful in business, just do this, but cows. (laughs) And that was like the start of it all. That's really crazy, you know. So those first vlogs, it had to be it had to be strange, right? It had to be a little awkward for yourself and forever you were you were filming or talking to, right? Yeah, it, there was a but there was also a 3-year lead up before I ever turned a video camera on. So it was a it was a slow progression. Okay. Uh, I got on Twitter, I was doing storytelling of my days in practice as a as a veterinarian on Twitter, so that's pretty non-invasive. Uh and then also Instagram was coming online, so I was showing, you know, this kind of representation of this pictorial beauty of animal agriculture, so taking pictures of pathology, but putting really nice 
filters on so the myocarditis on the on the dead cow's heart looked really really <laughs> spectacular uh and and you know and starting to tell a bit of my story right the beautiful sunrise uh me reflecting back on the new year the farmers who i'm with and it's their 30th wedding anniversary and it's minus 30 and they're out preg testing their cows like so so that was instagram for me and then i just kind of was always looking at the next sort of app, the next sort of thing to see if I could take my storytelling to the next level. And that's when Snapchat was coming online. That's when Vine, the seven second looping video app was coming online. And that was really the start of me turning a camera onto my own face and recognizing that, that I had a bit of a niche for that, that a little, you know, that that kind of fit into my personality and skill set. But, you know, I was I was making snaps and vines at, at my farmer's place asking, you know, can I take a picture of that? Can I video, you know, a little clip of that? So they were already very used to me and trusted me first and foremost as a veterinarian and then as a person and then as a storyteller telling story digitally because I had been already doing it for three years just in a different sort of format. So they were kind of already used to it to some extent before I, I started vlogging. That's really interesting because, I mean, it just, I mean, you're, you're on the cutting edge. I mean, there was nobody doing this sort of stuff in 2013, 2014. I mean, this is stuff that, you know, a lot of people are starting to do now. We were talking about earlier, you know, there's a lot of stuff starting to come online, but, you know, you're kind of the pioneer in this. It's so that that's got to be pretty cool. <laughs> well, I, it, uh, it has been. I, I can't even express the the opportunities that doing that has afforded me. So, you know, there's a lot of things. It, it certainly was a lot of work, an insane, insane amount of work, but it also produced a lot of results, right? It's, um, you know, when I started the vlog, I grew that veterinary practice to an insane amount. It was the, you know, is exactly why I was doing it. There's a lot of reasons to do it. There's a lot of, you know, less sort of objective things that we can look at. But in terms of hyperlocal marketing, my veterinary services, I wanted to I wanted to be the cow vet. So when you were ready to fire your veterinarian because he did a bad job or you were you were just tired of them or whatever reason, I wanted to be the next cow vet that popped into your mind. So I always say, when, when I say cow vet, you say Cody. I wanted those two, two phrases <laughs> uh, intertwined uh, in Synonymous. perpetuity to market my services. So it did that. Uh, and that was, you know, that was my intent. But then it just did so many other things blossomed out of that that I'll forever be grateful for. And even just in terms of like, personal growth, like it absolutely changed my core being. I take a lot of pride in self-awareness and I appreciate self-awareness in people. And I think that that is one of the only ways that you can train somebody in self-awareness is to show them hundreds of hours of themselves interacting with their family, with their <laughs> clients, yeah. with their vet techs, right? You know, it's, it's almost like a professional athlete looking at their at their plays, you know, of, of the game. Yeah, watching their own. It's like watching a film of your life. Exactly, right? So they, you, you can think like, holy, I really was snarky there or I completely ignored that question. So, so it, it you know, it, it changes you. And it, even from a creative standpoint, I would have never said I was a creative. And now I'm like almost terrified that I'm 100% creative or like 90% a creative and 10% an academic where before this, I would have said it, 
you know, I'm maybe a 10% creative. It just, once you get the right paintbrush in your hand, you know, I, I, I view my videos as art and I'm kind of obsessed with that digital storytelling format. That is, that is really cool. I, so much I'm learning about you, you know, and I've been, like I said, I've been following you for so long and I know hardly anything that you've told me. So that's, you know, for nothing else, I'm really excited to, <laughs> to have learned that. That's why podcasts are so great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. You know, we were talking about Clay earlier and Clay always, he always says that he asks the questions that he is genuinely interested in knowing himself. And, you know, if someone else benefits from it, then great. <laughs> right. Absolutely. I'm interested to, to kind of know who you viewed as your target audience when you were making these vlogs. Because I'll, I'll say myself, I enjoy your videos 100%. I love watching them. But it's a lot of the stuff, especially with cattle and horses, is something I am not unfamiliar with. You know, I've seen a lot of the techniques that you've done just because we had a very good vet growing up who was a great teacher. And, you know, he let me put in uterine prolapses when I was nine years old, you know, and, you know, he, he let me stitch up, you know, help him stitch up some wounds on horses from time to time. So, you know, are you looking at people involved in ag to show them or are you trying to show people outside of ag, you know, paint, like you said, paint that picture in a positive light or are you doing a little bit of both? Yeah. So great question. Uh, you know, the, the central theme is always just this chronological storytelling of my life. And, and sometimes it's not veterinary related at all. Sometimes it's me going on speaking or sometimes it's the birth of our daughters. Like there's a lot of extra stuff in there. But in terms of the demographics, when I'm capturing and editing that chronological storytelling, uh, what I'm trying to do is I'm always cognizant of, of essentially four different demographics that I want to speak to all at the same time. I certainly don't succeed all the time, but there's always these kind of four sets of ears that I'm always looking to appeal to. So first off, it, it is the, the the farmer, the rancher that would maybe want to hire me, right? Mm -hmm. So it was me showing that I'm a competent veterinarian, that I know what I'm talking about, and that I'm also just a good dude, that I'm somebody that you would want to have on your farm that isn't going to take life too seriously and isn't going to be yelling and screaming and, and has a smile on his face and just somebody that you can relate to. Uh, the other demographic was veterinary students. So I wanted to speak to veterinary students within my videos for a couple different reasons. One, one was purely capitalistic. It was, I want to hire them. Mm -hmm. Uh, I want to, I want to hire a whole bunch of veterinarians cause I'm, I'm, running a veterinary clinic and I need vets. So I wanted them to trust me as a mentor and trust my medicine. And that was a, a group that I was speaking to, but it, that even grew even more so that it really kind of enriched my life that all of a sudden I was seen as this, this inspiration within the veterinary schools. Uh, it's not the medicine that gained me popularity in the vet school. It was, it was my approach to life. It was practicing medicine and showing them that there's light at the end of the tunnel and that you can still have work-life balance and you can still have a smile on your face. So there was that demographic. Uh, veterinarians, once again, from a capitalistic standpoint, I want to hire veterinarians. But I just also really, really enjoy the profession. Like it's one of the things that I'm most passionate about. So I wanted to speak to them as well in terms of how to do things differently, how to do things better, expectations, all of those different types of things. And then lastly, just the general public. 
people love stories, right? I, I have no vested interest in crab fishing in, in the Bering Straits, right? <laughs> but I enjoy watching that because I enjoy watching the human story, right? Uh-huh. It's not necessarily anything about veterinary medicine or about agriculture. It is just, this is, we're capturing somebody's life story. And that's something that just resonates with human beings in general. So that was also the demographic that I was wanting to capture just because I enjoy and am passionate about the pure art of storytelling a person's journey. So it's kind of a multifaceted type thing. You know, you're using it to market yourself, you know, which I can sure as a, you know, as a proponent of capitalism, I can sure appreciate that. But you're also, like you say, you're also wanting to tell your story because you genuinely love what you do. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's layers and layers upon that, right? Uh, I love thinking about the gift that I'm giving to my kids and my grandkids and my great grandkids or 30 generations from now that now there's this video historical record of this guy with the last name Creelman who shared his life of his early days as a beef cattle veterinarian, right? In terms of that legacy for my family, that's like super special to me. Yeah. That's really, you kind of hit me with that because these last few generations are going, the last few and the, you know, the coming few are going to be the first to really have a solid footprint of their life as far as online, as far as, you know, a real copy of what their life was like. And you especially, you're going to have, you know, like you said, you're going to have, you know, great, great, great grandchildren who were able to look back at, you know, what their grandpa Creelman was doing, you know, a hundred years ago. I mean, that is, that is really incredible to think about. Yeah, no, it, it absolutely is. It gives me chills thinking about it, but it, it is really, truly one of the motivations or one of the things that I appreciate about digital storytelling that to some extent, all of a sudden you're like the first of, of your line, right? It, you're like all of a sudden the first of the, the ancestral Creelmans, because really there's nothing you know, there was nothing before me in terms of any sort of historical record that's going to mean anything to anybody. And we're, you know, we're going to get even more detail. I think about my kids, like my little baby daughter, her first breath is on the internet. I filmed my wife's uterus flopped out on the, in the OR. And, and there was, there was a video of, of her getting the umbilical cord unwrapped around her neck and her first breaths. And, and I shared that moment. So, so now she's going to have a record of everything from her first breath. She'll be able to sit down with her great grandkid one day and watch the video when she was born. And it's going to be absolutely mind blowing. Wow. That's so incredible. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It is weird because, you know, when you think of, you know, sitting down with grandma and grandpa, you think of looking at old photo albums, you know, and, you know, the pictures are there, but, and, you know, there's some sort of feeling, but man, like you, when you described it as, you know, filming a birth of a human being, I mean, that is incredible. The, The emotions that may come from that someday, you know, wow. Just, it gives me chills thinking about it. It's not even me. Yeah. So, but I can, I can hear exactly what your listeners are thinking on the other side, because I've, I've literally gotten every question that you could ever get revolving around, you know, the, the vlogging or video or digital storytelling space. So some people would think, well, is, is that unsafe having your kids, you know, on the internet that people know what my kids look like? Is that right? Are you giving them a choice? You know, maybe they, maybe they will end up being a private person. Maybe they won't want that shared. Maybe they don't want their bare bum on Instagram. Maybe they don't want, uh, 
you know, their first steps or, or the first time I could just envision the first time that my, my son or daughter goes out on a date and I'm vlogging it and, uh, (laughs) and they're absolutely mortified. Right. But like, each to their own. It, it is, it is what it is. Uh, my kids, you know, love watching that record even now, like watching back those videos when they're little and even as a parent, oh my goodness, just, just like watching a video from a year ago or two years ago, it, uh, it just melts my heart. So I, I understand what kind of the, the people who would maybe criticize or question that, but like, I think the benefits far outweigh any risks. I'm not a very risk adverse type person. You sound like me. That's the way I am. You know, I would never even think to ask that question. My wife, on the other hand, though, she is, she's like, she would be the first one to question like, oh, we shouldn't do that. You know, we, we shouldn't have our kids out there. And I'm like, eh, it'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. I, and I genuinely believe in like in humans, like certainly there's, there is bad people, but I feel like some of it is just fear mongering. You know, some of it's old wives tales. Like there's just so much more, I guess, beauty in the world that I believe in than things bad that are going to go happen. That's going to happen. Like literally right now, my kids are out at the park by themselves. They're five and they're three and there's nobody watching them. And I just believe in the world. Like they're good kids. They're it's good neighbors. It's a good town. Nothing's going to happen. But like some parents would not let that kid leave your sight. Right. So yeah, we we all get to make our own decisions as parents. And I've seen so many benefits, just, just kind of amazing moments from what we've been doing with them. So to me, it's worth it. No, I agree. And I, I'm, I'm in kind of the same thought process as you in that I, I do believe in humanity. I do believe that most people are genuinely good. And um, I believe that if you take freedoms away from your children, the risks of that outweigh the benefits. I, I believe in the benefits of freedom over a sheltered lifestyle. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. So as you know, this podcast is about mental health and and agriculture. And a part of that is having healthy relationships with coworkers, with your family, with clients. So I've seen you with your children and your wife online, and I see you as a husband and a father. And you seem to get that. You seem to get that the relationship side of of this industry is important. So I want you to talk about the importance of family and how it's kind of shaped your decision making, you know, with deciding to leave vet practice and, uh, you know, strike out on your own a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. So one, one big question I always get from veterinary students is why cows? Like, why did you become a cow vet? And I say it has nothing to do with the cows is everything to do with cow people mm-hmm. right it it, yep. it hasn't it's not the medicine perspective uh I, it was my comfort zone i grew up around cows but that for me was not not the most engaging thing about being a veterinarian and and you can think of as a cow vet certainly there's a ton of repetitive tasks right if you're trying to get through 15,000 cows in a fall preg testing if you're just looking at the specific tasks you would think why would anybody ever want to be a beef cattle veterinarian where you're beating up your body and you're standing there in minus 30 and you know your your eyelashes are froze together and 
you know, for what to be able to say that you've you've preg test this cow, but it has <laughs> yeah. nothing to do with the technical tasks. It was everything to do with the ranchers, with the farmers, with the families. Uh-huh. You know, it was that was so pure and wholesome. They are, you know, ranchers are the salt of the earth. They are the best people. And, and it was extremely diverse too, right? I would have, mm-hmm. you know, the, the crustiest non sort of traditional, like cussing and swearing and, and full blown alcoholism, you know, sort of rancher all the way down to the like Anabaptist, uh, Hutterite or Mennonite uh, that was like, <laughs> that was completely clear. Like it was all spectrums, right? It was like the most craziest, crudest sort of individuals right down to like the most sort of straight lace, but I love them all. So, so it was really the people that, that drew me to uh, the beef cattle side. When it comes to, you know, when it comes to that family perspective, you know, I don't even know how I got to where I got in terms of, of my relationship with my family. Uh, I do too many things. I, I focus a lot on work and doing a thousand different things. And, you know, my wife, when I met my wife in undergraduate, she instantly went to a straight A plus student because the only time she could spend time with me is if she studied. Because I was just studying to get into vet school and she was an agri- agriculture mm-hmm. economics uh, major. Uh, she had great marks, but she wasn't putting in that, you know, that extra amount of hours. And as soon as she sat down with me to try to have some sort of semblance of a relationship, her grades went through the roof. And she's just been by my side, been my advisor the whole time. So I don't even know how I ended up having a family that, that actually likes me. <laughs> well, I mean, they, you know, you, 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 they fall in love with the person, I guess. And then, you know, every, and then just learn to accept everything else. That's what I've learned. <laughs> that's, that's sometimes I wonder that same thing about myself, you know, thousand things going, you know, we were late for, we're late for ball practice because we couldn't find a cow cabin, you know, or whatever it may be. And like, why do, why do we even put up with this? But, you know, it's, the profession and, and the activities, the, all that doesn't take away from the human being. And the, you know, the human being is the most important thing in all this, this whole scenario. And like you said, it's, it's not that you enjoyed working with cattle so much. It's that you enjoyed the cow people. And, you know, I think that that is kind of a misconception is, you know, I mean, you're not dealing with the animal. A lot of times is the easy part. It's, it's, you know, the challenge comes in sometimes when you, when you're dealing with, with the human element, you know, because, uh, they're always subjective and not objective. (laughs) Yes. No, absolutely. It, um, and I thought maybe we would touch on this a, a little bit later point, but since we're on the topic, in terms of mental health, we're, we're kind of barking around what my theory is in terms of, of one of the main cruxes of mental health within the veterinary industry. So, so I, I'm not sure if you're aware, but the suicide rate in veterinary medicine is quite high. Some of the highest out of any demographic. And it's certainly multifactorial as all things are, most things are. But one of the, you know, one of my theories that I've been working on for quite a long time and trying to figure out why this exists outside of any other profession is you don't often meet a dentist who wanted to be a dentist with his or her whole heart since they were three years old. 
right? right. Or, or a yeah. lawyer who wanted to be a, a lawyer since they were five years old. You don't, you don't meet very many professions as you do within veterinary medicine where the vast majority of my class knew at age six that they wanted to be veterinarians. So they had this blind sort of passion that drove them through some of the most trying times a human being could go through in terms of taking on hundreds of thousands of dollars in student debt, in terms of studying till your eyeballs are literally bleeding uh, onto your piece of paper, trying, you know, how competitive it is to get in. And I feel like what ended up happening is an expectation, an expectation within themselves that they can endure all of this really, really difficult time, like this this very difficult process of what is vet school. But if they could just get through it, then everything is going to be okay. So they get through vet school and they have this expectation set up. And I feel like expectation is a, is a, an important part of of a lot of things that we do mentally, not just you know mental health in terms of talking about depression, anxiety, but but you know in health in general, things like even tiredness. I think there's always this expectation that we set. You know, if you expect you're going to be tired today because you didn't get very much sleep, you're going to feel tired because you've already kind of it's let self, the horse it's out a the gate. Fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, it absolutely is. So so I feel like in veterinary medicine, it's this kind of sort of unique situation where veterinarians have this expectation that as soon as they're out in practice, everything is going to be fine. They've put everything on hold, but now they're going to receive and reap this extreme level of reward of uh, self-fulfillment from saving the animals. And it doesn't happen because we can perform absolute miracles on animals. I've performed literal miracles on animals and <laughs> saved their lives. And not a single one has ever thanked me. Right. So, so, yeah. You, True. Yeah. <laughs> so, so now that it, like all of a sudden you don't have that, that level of fulfillment that you were expecting, right? Why I'm practicing this amazing medicine, but I'm not getting the, the that fulfillment. And it's because we're looking to the animal for that fulfillment and we're not looking towards the people. And when I look at the veterinarians that are succeeding, it is because of those who appreciate the human more than they appreciate the animal. And that's almost like sacrilegious to say as a veterinarian, but it's absolutely true because humans are community-based organisms. We need that community for our own sanity, for the well-being of our mental health. And I feel like a lot of veterinarians isolate themselves looking for that in the animal or looking for that in the medicine. And when they find their community, I think it's it leads to a lot of success. This is great stuff, Cody. I, you know, this is not something I planned on talking about. And I'm so glad you brought this up because, you know, that's a, that's a big, like you said, nobody, you know, I was myself, I was going to be a vet. I was going to vet school. I was going to university of Missouri to be a vet. And, uh, it changed me because I realized that, and maybe this was, you know, this was young me talking that I didn't feel like I would get the human fulfillment as I would as my job now as a pharmacist. But it's interesting that you say that, that 
you have to stop focusing on the animals and start focusing on the humans because that's where the fulfillment comes from. And I don't know, maybe I, maybe if I would have looked at it with that light, we, you know, we'd be colleagues now. And instead of, you know, me talking to you as the vet. Yeah, it's, it is something that I have, I've thought a lot about this. I've, um, you know, been asked to speak at veterinary schools and veterinary groups on wellness. So I, I'm very passionate about trying to at least analyze what's going on. So my my wife, Diana, she suffers from pretty severe anxiety and depression. She has for since her childhood. So as long as I've known her. So I, I also understand that there absolutely is a physiological or a chemical component to anxiety, to mm-hmm. depression, mm-hmm. that I'm not saying that you can just change your expectation. But I think what I've learned from, from working with Diana is that I feel like the key to wellness is, once again, multifactorial. I don't think community changes anything by itself. But I think it is a key component in terms of that connection that is one little step towards uh, being able to have some success in terms of being more mentally healthy. Uh, There's a lot of little things that I believe in that work towards that, that sort of success. So sometimes I think that's medication. Diana's been on medication for as long as I've known her and it it has fluctuated in terms of dose. And that's one small thing that I feel like that she just genetically, physiologically needs, but I've seen her at really low points, even with that. So obviously that's not enough in of itself. That expectation is is a big one. And if you're expecting you're going to be depressed or anxious in a situation, then you're probably going to be depressed or anxious in that situation. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. The the mind is an extremely powerful, powerful tool. So I think that's a small part of it. The community is a small part of it. I believe that diet is, is a very important thing. Health, exercise, outdoors, you know, those types of things are, are very, by themselves don't change anything, but are part of what I feel like what I've been able to garner as a multifactorial solution to mental health in general. Yeah, it's thank you for sharing that about your own personal experience and your own, you know, your wife's personal experience. To me, I've I've gone through something similar. I myself have struggled mightily with anxiety and, you know, that anxiety sometimes causing depression. And I, I too take medication for it, but it wasn't until just recently when I was able to, you know, shift my mindset a little bit, not a little bit, a lot, you know, like you say, if a lot of it is, um, there is a, obviously you said a chemical component, but a lot of it is, is, you know, not expecting to feel what you're going to feel in a moment and just living in that moment, you know, not, uh, my wife always calls it borrowing trouble. Um, you know, don't borrow trouble, you know, just, and another thing is being proactive instead of reactive, you know, be prepared for those situations instead of reacting to those situations. And, you know, it's just like you say, it's multifactorial. Um, you know, it's not just a chemical component. It's not just an environmental component. It's, you know, you know, we are, our mental health is, is complex and it's also on a spectrum and it can fluctuate from time to time. You know, so it's it's a really interesting, complex discussion that, you know, I don't think there's one 
set of concrete solutions to it. You know, it's just another, it's another sort of medical problem that takes a, a maybe a multidisciplinary approach to solve. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, when I first started learning about it in terms of Diana's struggles, and I had also had some personal connections in my youth uh, as well in terms of people who who had dealt with anxiety, depression, alcoholism. I actually had some very close friends who who had manic depressive uh, disorder as well. So So I got to kind of experience a really wide breadth quite young, but didn't understand that medication by itself is is not is not enough and i feel like that has been one of the the negative or uh, black marks on primary care physicians over the you know over the last 30 years 40 years of this better living through chemistry right that yeah. the pill is the cure all where i think the pill is absolutely necessary in a lot of situations but it's it was it was uh, marketed as a cure all and it certainly is not anything anywhere close well i mean it's it's just like Let's say you say you tear your ACL, you know, you are, you know, you're going to have inflammation. So you're going to take ibuprofen for the inflammation. You may take Percocet for the pain, but ibuprofen and Percocet by itself isn't going to heal that knee. You know, there's physical therapy involved. There's occupational therapy, you know, there's stretching, you know, there's all sorts of other things that get that knee back to where it needs to be. And our mental health is no different. You know, the the pill is not the only solution. I mean, yes, it's a there. If there's a chemical imbalance, then yes, that needs to be corrected. But you know, like you said, it, there's so many other factors that come into play. Yeah. So a big thing, you know, a big thing that I also just wanted to address uh, in terms of our connection between you know me being in in veterinary medicine and and agriculture and then mental health in general is is veterinarians are often you know, one of the first line uh, sort of healthcare professionals yes. that would maybe be able to recognize some of these issues, right? So so us as veterinarians, we certainly have our own problems when it comes to mental health that needs to be addressed, but we also need to be cognizant and and know about mental health because we are the ones who are who are seeing these people likely more frequently than their own physician in a lot of cases. So to be able to recognize that and to understand how to communicate with them and understand how to communicate with your families, it is not out of bounds for us to call a spouse after a call just to check in. That, you know, to me, that's part of the job. It is a veterinary client patient relationship. So maybe the patient isn't even part of that. It is still, I believe, my my responsibility to figure out what's going on and to make sure this person has help and to even provide suggestions, right? You know, sometimes I've done suggestions as simple as, well, you know, you need to go see your doctor, but, you know, how have you been exercising? What has your diet been like? How much sleep have you been getting? You know, I, I, I'm not a physician by any means, so now I have the friend's hat on, but it is something that we need to, as veterinarians, need to be cognizant about because we have all of these relationships with people. Yeah, I I really think you guys up north are doing a little bit better job than we are down here. Um, as far as the foundations, like the the I know I'm sure you're familiar with Leslie Kelly and the Do More Ag Foundation. Yes, absolutely. Your neighbors over there in Saskatchewan. Yes. Yeah, I actually I have 
a conversation scheduled with Leslie in a few weeks. And, uh, you know, they talk about this mental health first aid and, uh, you know, how you talk about how you don't go to the doctor, you know, first thing, if you sprain an ankle, you know, they, you teach us, you know, somebody to put ice on it first, you know, and then go to the doctor if, if needed. So it's the people like you, people like the vets, people like the seed salesmen, the beef nutritionalists, you know, those sort of people who are oftentimes the front line. And they're the ones that see these people in their everyday, you know, habitat. And you are the ones who need to be recognizing the symptoms. And me, just the same as being a pharmacist, is, you know, they're going to be talking to you anyway. So they, you need to be aware. And I'm just the same way is the thing about, and somebody told me one time, I was at a pharmacy conference one time, and they told me a pharmacist, you can, you know, to go to a doctor, you have to pay money. To go to a lawyer, to even talk to a lawyer on the phone, you have to pay him money. But you can stand there all eight hours that the pharmacy is open and talk to that pharmacist and he won't charge you a dime. So, you know, I think- What we, a great business model you picked. Oh yeah, it's so, yeah, it's so lucrative, let me tell you. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's interesting because, you know, that they, they will share with things with you because you're available. You know, just be to be available to people is powerful, and it's a it's an advantage that we need ourselves to take advantage of. Yes, absolutely. No, it is exciting to see a lot of that. You know, and I don't want to throw any you know any veterinary groups under the bus because you know a lot of them also need that help as well. I've been following closely what's been happening in you know in your neck of the woods in terms of Missouri veterinary clinics. There's vet clinics shutting down like crazy. There's veterinary dead zones everywhere. I know. Uh, you know, there's going to be massive tracts of hundreds and hundreds of miles of prime cattle producing land that could not even access veterinary care if they even tried. So so you know. Uh, certainly uh, there is like everything is multifactorial. So there is a lot of different complex things going on, but in terms of, yeah, it, it, groups like Leslie's that, that are looking at this very, very seriously. It's just so encouraging because it, it is very necessary. Well, Cody, we're kind of, we're kind of running short on time. I really appreciate you hopping on this call with me today and allowing us to have a conversation. It's been really exciting for me to kind of get to know you a little bit because I, like I said, I've been a fan for about a year now. And uh, I think what you're doing is absolutely wonderful and bringing, shedding a good light on the agriculture community. I, I think it's just wonderful. No, thank you so much. I'm uh, I'm excited for this next chapter. I'm actually top secret. I'm heading south of the border for a large portion of this year coming up. So part of that is just uh, family exploration. My oldest son homeschools. My daughters are are too young for school, and I now have this. Uh, I'm not anchored down anywhere, so we're going to go on a bit of a road trip stateside. And I'm super excited to do that and to connect with farmers and other veterinary professionals as we're kind of traveling about. And then uh, I also have a ton of speaking dates in the U.S. lined up too. So I'm really excited to be able to connect with you guys more down there. My U.S. demographic has been so supportive. It's just been phenomenal. So they like their crazy Canadian cattle vet in the States. (laughs) Yeah, we do. I tell you, I, I I just I just love what you're doing, and it's you know it's been a huge influence on me because, you know, listening to you on Clay and then finding you in your own podcast, you know, 
ag podcasts were just up really until this year were kind of foreign to me. So, uh, you know, you kind of paving the way for all these new ag media people has been really important. And I'm thankful for the work that you've done. So where can folks find you online? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So the best place is just my website, uh, CodyCreelman.com. And uh, my email, if anybody has any questions, is just Cody at CodyCreelman.com. I know it's the most pretentious email in the world, but I don't carry business cards. So everybody would be able to remember if you can spell my first and last name, you'd be able to remember my email. And uh, yeah, all my all my links to my stuff is there uh, in terms of my consulting products and links to my Instagram or my YouTube. If you want to follow my family adventures, it's just going to be uh, across all of the social media platforms as well. And there's also a link coming up very soon, part of a, a group initiative with a bunch of U.S.-based agriculture, uh, I guess, influencers called Keynote Ag that I'm really excited to launch. So, uh, you know, Shark Farmer and Leslie Kelly and a bunch of uh, really amazing U.S. sort of egg influencers, uh, we've all joined up and and we're uh, supporting and promoting each other uh, across the egg kind of speaking space as well. So, So look for that on the website. That's when you know you've really made it is when you get to have an email that is your name at your name.com. <laughs> like, I mean, how, uh, how big time is that? <laughs> it's, it's probably just, um, it's probably just forward thinking. Although I have registered, uh, yeah, I registered that URL without thinking that that was going to be my primary email. Uh, I just didn't want anybody to grab onto it. And uh, <laughs> right. I'm glad that I did. So now it's an easy one for people to remember. Right, right. <laughs> well, Cody, I, I really appreciate your time. I know you're a busy guy. Um, so I really appreciate you coming on this show today. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Ag State of Mind. We hope this episode has encouraged you. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Ag State of Mind. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify so you never miss an episode. See you next week.